The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, Sharknado 3, oh hell no, debuts on Sci-Fi Wednesday, July 22nd. And just like the first two, loaded with great cameos and amazing, breathtaking death by shark scenes. Ian Ziering, Tara Reid, back for the third movie. And guess who else is in it? Yeah, me, yours truly. I have a character. I got a name and everything. I'm Bruce, the ride attendant. And I actually had a lot of lines. I had some pretty cool uh, interactions with Tara and Ian. And a great interaction with a shark on a roller coaster. You are not going to believe Jericho's. You've never seen them before. Do I put one of the sharks in the walls of Jericho, or do I get uh, do I get my head bitten off? I guess we're going to find out. I I don't even know for sure. I got to watch it and see this Wednesday, July twenty second. Do I survive the killer shark attack? You're going to have to check it out and see. And uh, does Ian Ziering survive? You're going to have to check that out and see. He's the star of Sharknado, the third installment, and he's here today. He's the star of Talk Is Jericho. Super excited to have him on. He's going to tell us all about Sharknado 3, why he's in it, how he's in it, how it is filming a movie. We can't even see the sharks that you're supposed to be uh, fighting. He'll also talk about Beverly Hills 90210. Remember, remember that TV show he was on, that huge hit? Remember Steve Sanders? Yeah, and of course, he's going to talk about being Finn Shepard on the Sharknado franchise movies. But listen, when those killer sharks hit your city, imagine if, if, if Sharknado actually comes true. You better be in the best shape of your life, man. You better get on that DDP yoga program now so you can take on the killer sharks yourself okay ddp yoga is a great fitness program and you guys know i'm an avid user i do ddp yoga almost daily and i try and spread the word to everyone that i know both professional on the street on the twitter i want you guys to try ddp yoga okay you've heard me talk about how ddp yoga is done uh done save my career both singing and wrestling and ddp yoga is why i'm in the best shape of my life right now i had some bad back problems bad core issues and ddp helped me get rid of those and become uh, even bigger and better than ever and i want you to try it because it can do the same for you. You'll be glad that you did. Okay. DDP design, DDP yoga to work for anyone and everyone, no matter what your age or fitness level is. Great option for those of you trying to get in shape and live a healthier lifestyle. Also, a great choice if you're already in shape and trying to maintain. DDP makes it easy. He's got it all covered, especially if you get the max back. You get all the workouts on DVD. You get a grid chart to track your progress. You get a poster to help you remember the 12 core positions of DDP yoga, recipes as well, so you can get in that healthy eating plan. 
all the workouts on MP3 so you can exercise on the go. Do DDP yoga wherever you are, whenever you want. That's what I do. I'm telling you, I do it in hotel rooms. I do it in the back of the Fozzie tour bus. I do it in, uh, in, in the dressing rooms at the WB Live events, wherever. It doesn't matter. I have them with me at all times, and I do them whenever I want. I go at my own pace. DDP always says that. You do it your way. This is your workout. You stop and start where you want. Beginner workouts, intermediate workouts, advanced workouts. You dictate your workout, okay? I want you to go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho right now. Take advantage of a special offer only available to the Sexy Beast listeners of TIJ. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. But this offer, not going to last forever, right? I want you to go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Take advantage of it now. Get in the best shape of your life. Protect yourself against the sharks in the flying water spout. And do it with DDP Yoga and do it today. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived, and it's Friday. It's Aloha Friday. No work till Monday. It's Aloha Friday. No work till Monday. And we're kicking off the weekend with the star of the Sharknado franchise, Ian Ziering, it's not Ian Ziering, don't call him that. He's Finn Shepard fighting the Sharks with his uh, ever-present chainsaw. And he was also Steve Sanders on 90210, huge, huge star back in the early 90s as well. And wait till you hear about his 90210 edition. It's a great story. He's also pretty open about what it was like dealing with the fame and success during the show's heyday and also dealing when it all ended when the show uh, when the show was canceled and how he had some lean times over the years. But now he's back bigger and better than ever. He's got crazy stories stories about Sharknado, why he got into it, how he wanted to get out of it when he first found out what the title of the movie was, and of course, how it is acting and shooting a movie with the killer sharks that you don't even see while you're filming. I know all about it because, uh, like I said, I was on set and I had some interaction with the sharks that weren't there, so I have no idea what I'm going to look like on screen with the sharks attacking me. There's a great picture in the new TV guide of uh, the shark on the roller coaster coming after Bruce, the ride attendant, but I'm telling you, man, it's going to be... it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really, really excited to be a part of the Sharknado franchise. I got the offer, and I was like, I'm doing it. Absolutely. And some people are like, why would you be in Sharknado? It's because it's become a pop culture phenomenon. It's the highest rated movie ever on uh, on sci-fi. Uh, Sharknado 2 was. And I expect Sharknado 3 to blow it out of the water. It's kind of the place to be, the cool place to be. But, you know, it's not my first sci-fi movie. I was in a movie called Android Apocalypse a few years ago. Uh, definite classic. Won an won a Oscar in Luxembourg. You should go track it down and check it out. But as you know, uh, Sci-Fi Channel always has a lot of fun. Fun movies on a lot of them are god awful but some of them are pretty fun and just the concept of what the movies are all about as well is actually pretty funny and the titles like sharknado like okay we'll take sharks and stick them in a tornado and we'll call it sharknado yeah see so uh, i wanted to find out uh, some other really bad sci-fi movie titles so i went and googled and i found uh, theweek.com 10 sci-fi channel movies just as ridiculous as Sharknado. Now, the reason why Sharknado works, might I add, and you'll we talk about this later on, is because uh, everyone plays it seriously. Like, I had a couple ideas for improv lines that I asked uh, the director, Anthony Ferranti, if I could use, and he was like, no, no, no. The secret is you got to play it straight. This is not a comedy. This is like, imagine this is really happening. How would you react? You know, as, as preposterous as it may seem, 
Still, if it was really happening, what would you do? And that's how we act accordingly. And that's why the, the, the movies work because they're not, um, you know, it's not like uh, a horror comedy, which is my worst type of movies. They're playing it serious. They're playing it straight. And no matter how cheesy it might come off, it still works because you play it seriously. And that's what all of these movies on sci-fi are like this. None of them are like, how are you type films. But um, yeah, Sharknado is out. Interesting title. But I'm going through this list. Uh, here's the, the Anonymous Rex is an actual um, uh, movie where they have a, a, a raptor and a triceratops disguised as private investigators. That sounds uh, pretty ridiculous. Then we got Sharktopus. That's a good one. Of course, obviously, half shark, half octopus, which is good. Um, the toothed tentacled beast escapes and wreaks havoc on many bikini-clad beachgoers off the coast of Santa Monica, starring Academy Award nominee Eric Roberts. I'll have to check that out. Most ridiculous moment, a beautiful young beachgoer bungee jumps off a seaside cliff, only to be snatched out of midair by the Sharktopus. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Piranaconda. That's a good one. So I guess this would be a piranha cross with an anaconda. And it's uh, the pseudo-sequel to Sharktopus. A pair of genetically engineered Piranaconda hybrids go on a killing spree on a small Hawaiian island after a scientist steals their leg. This starring Michael Madsen, Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs. The most ridiculous moment, the Piranaconda takes down an entire helicopter mid-flight. So this thing uh, means business. Then we got uh, Deep Shock. Not really a great title, but... Um the the submarine is attacked by an unknown assailant. The UN sends a team to investigate the incident, and the assailants are a bunch of conniving, super intelligent giant electric eels looking to uh, stir up trouble. All right, uh, Dino Croc versus Super Gator. That one sounds good. A giant genetically, of course, always genetically engineered Super Gator breaks free of a research lab in Hawaii. Uh, nearby, a different giant creature, the prehistoric Dino Croc. It's been captured by scientists, breaks free from the test lab, and what happens when an unstoppable force means an immovable object? Well, it's Dino Croc versus Super Gator. Most ridiculous movie here is a sleazy horror movie producer lures two models into the hot tub, and the monster shows up and swallows them in a moment of blood-soaked glory. All right. Um, what do you think about all these movies, Ash the Fish Expert? Quick cameo. Mega Python versus Gatoroid. Okay, and tell us who stars in that one. <laughs> 80s pop star Debbie Gibson and Tiffany Starr in the apocalyptic creature feature in which experimental anabolic steroid-pumped dead chickens are fed to gators in the Everglades to combat the growing problem of large, aggressive pythons. Fast forward a few months when all-out war has begun between the giant pythons and the mutant gators. All right, and what's the most ridiculous moment uh, for, from Mega Python versus Gatoroid? Two hunters come face to face with a mega python. As the large serpent swallow one of the swallows one of the dim-witted hunters, the other stares it down, accepting the grisly fate that's about to come. When his buddy sets off a sacrificial grenade in the snake's belly and blows it up, when the surviving hunter immediately cracks open a beer to toast his noble friend, a giant gator crushes him. Sounds. Uh, what do you think? Are you going to watch this one? Would you give this one? Uh, what kind of a rating would you give it? Do you think? At a, at a ten. I'd give it a whopping 0 0.1 stars. 0 0.1 stars. All right. Well, Mega Python versus Gatoroid as we continue. Dino Shark. 
so uh, the global warming caused the glacier containing a baby prehistoric era uh, shark to be knocked loose, thus freeing the titular creature. The dino shark grows up and uh, turns to the waters of a Mexican coastal resort into his new feeding grounds. Seems like there's a real pattern here. And the most ridiculous moment of this one is the dino shark devours a bunch of surfers in mid-surf. So, uh, yeah, okay, uh, a few more to go here. Frankenfish. <laughs> oh, okay, we got the Frankenfish. Uh, based on Maryland's real-life snakehead fish incident yeah. in 2002, Frankenfish pits several scientists against a school of man-eating, genetically engineered snakehead fish in the bayou. Most ridiculous moment, a cocky fisherman baits uh, a frankenfish, uh, baits for a frankenfish who killed his brother only to have it immediately jump on the dock and bite his leg. Okay. A fisherman manages to blow its brains out with a shotgun, but moments later, another frankenfish jumps to the water and bites his head off. So, uh, well, here's another good one. The Jersey Shore shark attack. That's interesting. Uh, cross-pollinated satire of MTV's Jersey Shore uh, gets at- attacked by the sharks. And the most ridiculous moment, Joey Fatone gets eaten by a shark. And the final bad uh, movie, similar to um, Sharknado, is Hammerhead Shark Frenzy. A mad scientist attempts to cure his cancer-ridden son by fusing his DNA with the DNA of a hammerhead shark. Uh, it turns his son into a half-human, half-hammerhead shark who goes on a killing spree. The most ridiculous moment? Every single second of it. <laughs> so there you go. There's uh, some uh, some movies that you guys can watch. In preparation for Sharknado 3, oh hell no. And uh, it's going to be a quite, quite the uh, huge, huge hit. And it's going to be quite a huge hit today as Ian Ziering, the star of Sharknado, guests here on Talk is Jericho. And I'm sure. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. No, no, no. I'm here with Chris Jericho. Are you kidding? I'm humbled in your, your company, uh, man. At the NBC press day, <laughs> which is funny because I saw you at the last NBC press day and we just kind of crossed each other on the hall. What's up, dude? How are you doing? So much going on, though, because of, of like the the uh, phenomenon known as, as Sharknado. Sharknado 3. Which is so crazy to think about, about how this has become so ridiculously big. Because, you know, I've done sci-fi movies before, and they always have the, the weird names and the weird creatures, and they're kind of, you know, they're kitschy, and they're, yeah. you know, I guess cheesy would be a word for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know what I mean? But this one, for whatever reason, just went through the roof. It's, uh, it's really a phenomenon. There's really no explanation for it. I don't know what the secret sauce is. I wish I did. I'd be producing these movies. But for whatever reason, it's really captured the hearts and imagination of not just science fiction fans, but mainstream mainstream uh, media yeah it's not just Iconic or whatever it might be it's hard to explain you know it's an action adventure science fiction movie but it's also a family movie right. it's a story about a, a man who goes to extraordinary lengths to make sure his family is safe mm-hmm. and he's confronted with these 
Sharknadoes uh, and really rises to the level necessary to do what it takes to make sure they're safe. And in the meantime, saves the whole city and the world, <laughs> seemingly. It's, it's perfect. It gets bigger, it gets bigger and bigger. On. Yeah, yeah. Because we met on set. I, I did a, a little cameo part in, in, in Sharknado. And the thing about it is we, we all play it straight. Yeah. And that's why it works. It's not like, you know, oh, there's a shark coming. What are you going to do? It's like you are playing it like as if there really is like an earthquake or something like that. And that helps it work too. Well, that that's a necessary component to helping the audience suspend disbelief. Mm-hmm. If you give in to the cheesiness and don't act naturally in this imaginary circumstance, then the audience isn't going to buy it. Then it's like other schlock movie that's out there where the actors are phoning it in but you know we're all very sure to make sure everyone raises to the level necessary to bring an authentic reaction to a cataclysmic event you know this is a sharknado and everyone's in on the joke except the people in the movie Mm -hmm. and that's why people are able to suspend disbelief to sit back and enjoy it as an entertainment vehicle and then drive it for an hour and a half and then let it go because it is so preposterous because it is so ridiculous but because it's not for it's not ridiculous for the people that are within the context of the movie it's not like attack of the killer so right there's enough separation but if everyone's laughing on both sides of the camera then then you lose your ability to buy into it it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about how big it's become. Um, Sharknado 2 did the highest rating in sci-fi history for, for a movie or for anything. It's, it's up there. It's set records. A billion Twitter impressions. I mean, how does that happen? And now 3 has got so much anticipation. Like today, I was talking about Tough Enough, but then other people just, all they want to talk about was Sharknado. Well, they know you're in it. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. So many people. Well, you know, the sci-fi fans are the most supportive fans in all of entertainment, I believe. Maybe second only to the wrestling fans that are out there. But the sci-fi fans are also very like-minded and very tech-savvy, so they're all connected on various social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And when one person finds something that's exciting or different, starts chatting about it, well, then... There's this domino effect that takes place, and the excitement grows exponentially, not just here in the United States, but globally. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, what resonates here is heard in Japan, Mm -hmm. or Australia, or Europe, or South America. So there's global anticipation for a movie that... A TV movie, by the way, that is unheard of. Mm-hmm. With Sharknado, the original Sharknado, you know, I had some trepidation in doing this movie to begin with because it, you know, there were a lot of holes in the script that were left to be filled by visual effects. And with a scant budget, you can't be sure if they're going to really support your actions with plausible. Um, what would you think when you get you know, a call for your agent saying, hey, I got... I, well, yeah, I read it, story. and I she thought it was a more. piece of junk. I thought, it, you know, that this is not, never going to see the light of day. certainly wasn't going to be something that would propel my career. I was actually thinking it would be something that would be detrimental. And why did you do it? Because I needed to make insurance, for, have my health insurance. You know what? My, uh, my wife was uh, six months pregnant. 
and I uh, get my health insurance from my union, Screen Actors Guild. And every January it resets. I need to make so much every mm-hmm. year to qualify. Yeah. And this movie would have made the quota just barely. And my wife said, look, you need to go to work. You need to get that health insurance. And, you know, it was a very stark realization that now that I'm a husband and a father, I'm also a provider. And, you know, that's a job where failure is not an option. Mm -hmm. So when failure is not an option, you do whatever it takes to, to be successful. And I really felt like I was taking one for the team. I did it. I did the movie begrudgingly um, because I didn't trust the director. I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust the production company because I didn't know them. And I certainly didn't trust the visual effects artists because not only did I not know them, but I knew that they didn't have money to really get all the bells and whistles. This wasn't going to be James Cameron quality special effects. I was thinking this is going to be more... Sid and Marty Croft level right. Slee Stacks and Sigmund and the Sea yeah. Monster and Witchy Boot. Right, yeah, yeah. Land of the Lost yeah. kind of stuff. And I was fearful, you know. But then after I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. Well, that move where I jumped, they actually put a shark in there that wasn't a guppy. It was a big enough shark that made my, at the time, my action look like a plausible reaction. So it kind of built trust. And when we did Sharknado 2, because I had this trust, knowing what that they were capable of and that they would not make me look foolish if I dove out of the way or looked up and made a scary face, that they would substantiate that reaction with a graphic that made it a plausible reaction. Mm-hmm. So now in Sharknado 3, um, in speaking with the uh, VX artists, uh, they thank me for, for giving them something to work with. So now I look. I know that they look for opportunities, and I would share that with our, our guest stars, our our cameo artists that would come in, and you know if they would get taken out of a, out by a shark, I'd say, look, just don't fall back because then they're just going to have the shark take you out. Yeah. But if you fight a little bit and swing your head left to right a little bit, well, then you're going to get thrashed, and it's going to be a much more interesting. Kill. We were on top of the roller coaster. Yeah. I said, dude, the more the move, the better it will look. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're a big dude, so it's going to be formidable. You know, they'll probably take you out in a way. I mean, if you die, I don't want to give out any story points. You could, you could. (laughs) Um, When I, we worked with, uh, in LA, I worked with Rick Fox basketball player yeah. and he's a he's a big guy yeah. and he plays the, one of the president's security guards and I said Rick now don't just fall out of frame I said fight back and it may you may think you're doing something ridiculous but know and trust me when I tell you that whatever you do they're going to make it a realistic reaction so take a couple punches swing dodge whatever you do just don't fall out of frame so when I saw his take, when I saw him do it, he's throwing a left and a right and he, an elbow and he's thrashing and then he falls out of frame. I'm like, that's awesome. He's going to be, that's going to be a beautiful kill. Right, a beautiful kill. I mean, so to speak, yeah. within the context of the movie. And that's what, that's what the viewers look for. They know it's ridiculous. They know it, it's not realistic. Uh-huh. Most of them know it's not realistic. But it's just fun. You know, and it adds uh, a level of excitement 
not just for the viewers, but for the people that come in and do a little guest spot. You know, they want it to be as good as possible as well. It's so become kind of one of the themes that started in two and went to three, where now it's like how many cameos? Oh my gosh! Can you see in here? You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if we do a four that every person on screen is recognizable from something for doing something at some capacity because it just it's just fun you're almost looking like every single person is a cameo like, like a star because that's why like i was watching too and i was like i just start looking maybe is that somebody that i just don't know them and in chat it was like either a social media person or someone that was on pinterest that had a huge follow right right whatever yeah we've got a couple of those so people many, that have right? vloggers yeah. who have yeah. uh crazy amounts of uh, of followers and you know we've learned that social media is very impactful mm-hmm. and if these people are willing to give of their time and participate in this you know they're going to write about it and they're going to get their minions so to speak to see the movie and it just it just grows and it just adds another layer of fun I had, uh, it wasn't even an audition it was a screen test I was down to the wire to get this gig I ended up not getting it but they're like they need you to do this screen test in LA in Burbank on the studio on Tuesday and I got the call to do Sharknado they needed me Monday Tuesday and I told I told my agent like I'm doing Sharknado but you've got this screen test we, they needed me there for, re, for a rehearsal thing and I said I can get out of there at noon and be at Burbank that night for the rest of what if you miss the flight I don't care I'm doing Sharknado really because this is real it's an offer it's real and it's going to be huge yeah and that's kind of it worked out good and you're very recognizable in this I mean you're working with Tara and I we're on a top of a roller coaster yeah I had a great part I had a name yeah Right. Not everyone has a, a character yeah, name. Exactly, you know. But I mean, who were some of the cameos that showed up that you were like, because there were some people that was like, oh my gosh. Like, Kim Richards, like I was so obsessed with her when I was a kid. Kim Richards shows you know? up. We had, oh, everyone was. Kim, such a, a so, so cute. Yeah. She's still a beautiful yeah. woman. Um, like I said, Rick Fox. We had, who did we have? We had uh, Lou Ferrigno mm-hmm. showed up. Jackie Collins yeah. showed up. I loved him too when Judd Hirsch was actually the tax. Right. Oh, it was so perfect. Um, <laughs> Bo Derek plays Tara's mom. David Hasselhoff plays my dad. Um, Penn and Teller, all of a sudden, I'm like, what? That's Penn and Teller. You know, and I don't know who yeah. they get because they're actively seeking uh, recognizable people all through production and they all of a sudden oh we got this person here they're going to do this part so you just show up with them and say, I, hey what's going on and then quite often the narrative would have to change because these people need some creative something to say they're just not going to stand there and, and be taken out because um, you're shooting this very quickly too I think you told me it was like a three week shooter if that we 15, 16 days yeah. So much post production too, though, because like you said, the, the effects they're not too bad. Man. No, they're no, really good. they really are, and every year they get better because the technology improves. Mm-hmm. And what was astonishing ten years ago, well, the license to get that technology is a lot cheaper now because now there's something ten times better than that. I mean, if you've seen what's out there now, um, San Andreas or Jurassic Park. It's seamless. Mm -hmm. It is as realistic as the actors. When you see these dinosaurs walking around, the detail is is as precise and as as exact as every whisker on Mm -hmm. Chris Pratt's face. That technology is 
you know, cutting edge. Well, what's cutting edge today in 10 years is going to be antiquated. Sure. But it's still great stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where these lower budget films are able to bump up their game because all of a sudden now that technology, that license to use that technology is within their grasp. Yeah. So every year... It's cheaper to make it look better. It's cheaper. Was it hard at first to, um, like you mentioned, to perform, say, the green screen, just like mining, pantomime? Oh, yeah. Well, it was it was the trust factor. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know Anthony. Anthony Cifarante is our director, and he's, great. he's telling me to do all these crazy things, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's going to be so stupid. But you know what? I'm a professional. They hired me. I'm here to do a job. I did it. But I didn't have high hopes for the outcome. And um, that's really was the challenge in, in accepting what they were asking me to do because I had no perspective of what they were capable of producing. So it was purely uh, a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, was it called Sharknado when you got the script? No, it was called Dark Skies. Which, oddly enough, there was another movie that came out with Carrie Russell that was called Dark Skies. But I figured, oh, this is a TV movie. Maybe it doesn't matter. Whatever. If it was titled Sharknado when I first read it, I probably never would have even opened it up. So ridiculous. But after, uh, you know, four or five days of filming Sharknado, the director comes on set and lets us know that they're titling this movie Sharknado. I said, Sharknado? Really? Come on. I thought it was Dark Skies. They said, no, that was just the working title. It's going to be Sharknado. Dead silence. I'm looking at Tara, and she's looking at me. We're thinking, we're never going to work again. I get on the phone with my agent. you got to get me off this movie. And he's like, don't worry. It'll go straight to DVD. No one's going to see it. Look, you're going to make your insurance. Just just don't worry. Just go cash the check. You'll be fine. (laughs) And I'm dying. I go back. I'm like, really? How about Great White Skies? I just pulled that out of my hat, but it kind of would be a little bit more fitting. Anything's better than Sharknado. They went with Sharknado. I'm like, oh, God. I just figured it was another nail in my my coffin. (laughs) Exactly. And um, there it became Sharknado. Do you think that they did that on purpose? Like, there's no one's going to accept this if it's called Sharknado. We better give it a gimmick name. Or do you think they just hadn't figured it out by then? They haven't figured it out. They didn't. They, you know, they're all flying by the seat of their pants. If you have seen the lineup that Sci-Fi has of movies, it's pretty much in line. Sure. Ghost Shark, uh, Mega Shark meets Octo Shark. It's yeah, like it's, this. <laughs> scorpion scorpion Angela. It's like a half scorpion. Half Lava Angela. Lava Angela is going is a big another big summer movie. They're hoping it will. Uh, Reach the levels that uh, Sharknado did. It's with Steve Gutenberg. Kind of in the same vein as, as hiring Ian Zero. Well, it, you know, Steve passed on uh, on Sharknado. Did he really? When did you find that out? Pretty quickly. I figured if they offered me this and we were shooting, you know, the next week, then somebody must have passed on this. <laughs> exactly. You know, they've got you they've got the first choice. right. I think uh, I think Kevin Dillon also passed on it. But now uh, those guys are wishing that they that they hadn't done that for sure, right? Yeah, I, I don't know what. <laughs> you know, they all have uh, their own things going, and I would have passed on but it like too. You said, yeah, if you, if you didn't have, I, I wasn't blaming them. I would have passed on it too. And so, so when when did you realize that? Like, was it a, a big hit right off the bat? The first Sharknado? Sharknado? Instantly, 
we had uh, the editor of Fangora magazine uh, come and do a cameo. No one knew what cameos were. This Anthony, the director, had... Uh, Anthony used to write for Fangora magazine, so his friend, the editor, he invited him over, and then there was a little story in Fangora, and that started the buzz. That started the excitement. And there was built-in anticipation because all the sci-fi fans that were talking about it, there was just great expectation for this crazy movie with sharks and tornadoes. Mm -hmm. And it delivered. Luckily, it delivered. It had all the right components in it, what they are exactly, I don't know, but it had all the right components to be a wildly successful movie. And because it was so popular, even mainstream entertainment got involved. Mia Farrow was watching this crazy movie and started tweeting about it. Um, That's great. Yeah, the you know, Mark Wahlberg was uh, tweeting about it. Best movies ever seen. This is so ridiculous. I can't believe it. it Matt Damon. You know, all these people, you know, these uh, from major motion picture backgrounds. list stars. Yeah, where, you know, just proved that they're, they enjoy a good cheesy sci-fi movie just like the rest of us. Yeah. And um, it just started to, the word of mouth was uh, viral. You know, Al, I think a lot probably had to do with the name. You know, you hear Sharknado and it's like that's... What the hell? Like, right. Like, skies right. or for example... Pretty nondescript. Yeah, sounds pretty lame. Doesn't have that allure. Yeah, Sharknado. Yes. And now that you know what it is, it's kind of hard to not watch it because it's so it's sharks and tornadoes, and this is the third one. What the heck are they doing? Must be something if they've done three. So it's become you know topics of water coolers. If if it becomes, I mean, I'm sure there'll be a four. You're going to get guys like Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon probably calling up saying, "Put me in this movie." You know, they all have a sense of humor. Sure. I'd like to see Schwarzenegger show up. Yeah, Stallone. You're talking about four million. I bet you. I bet you three will be even more. Five million. That's a lot of people. That's more than than than, than some that would you go to a movie theater and see some of those movies. Oh around. yeah. You yeah. know that that's that's a big draw. What's amazing is that if this was a feature film, it would do you know fifty, sixty, seventy million dollars opening weekend. And who's to say that's not the next the next thing, right? Um, it'd be great. Yeah. But I would be afraid that if they invested too much money into the movie, that it would change the movie. Yeah. I mean, keeping the budget down puts some constraints on production. And the quality and the content also suffers when you don't have the mm-hmm. high dollars. Mm-hmm. But I think that where it suffers is also where it gains because it lends itself to the campy, kitschy nature of the movie. We didn't have a cast of thousands in our background. We had like 15, 20 people. And we had to use them all the time. So in one scene, this guy might be towards the front of the camera screaming. And then in the next scene, we need somebody in the background. We would change his shirt and put him in the background. You may see someone who who has their legs chewed off in a previous scene running wildly through a following scene. You know, look closely. They're out there. But that's that's just the way, you know, that's the way it's done. That's the charm of, of the movies. But that charm has only come because of the low-budget nature, because there's not enough movies. So therein lies the result. Mm -hmm. You don't have the money for this high-budget, flawless, seamless uh, visual effect. So you do the best you can. But the best you can is just good enough to make it different and awesome in its own right. At the same time. Yeah. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Sitting across from Ian Ziering, and, and you're talking about how you thought Sharknado was another nail in the coffin of your career. But here you are now, a legitimate action star, a leading man in a very popular, successful franchise. I mean, it just proves in showbiz, you never know what's going to take and, and what's not. You know, you have to look at every opportunity as a, a golden egg. Mm-hmm. I never thought 90210, after I saw the pilot, I figured I'd be looking for a job really quickly. So clearly, I'm no judge of quality content. <laughs> Uh, because two of the biggest things on my resume, I thought... Legitimate American <laughs> yeah, pop culture. Right. Globally successful stuff. I just didn't think we were going to go the distance. And look what's happened. So, um, you know, now I'm at the point in my career where, you know, I look at everything differently. I look at it first and, and foremost as, will I be able to provide for my family? Mm-hmm. And will I have fun doing it? And I don't, I don't really care anymore if it's not what I think is great or if I think it stinks. It's more about am, am I having fun and can I provide for my family? Because I think you know, my fans have a, a huge penchant for entertainment and have a tremendous amount of allowance for forgiveness if I do something really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They kind of expect it now from me. You know, I, I did a video for Angry Birds, a little viral video where they came and it's a f- company from Finland, Rovio, and they came and they pitched me and my manager. They want to make me big in Japan. So we're like, yeah, let's do it. But there's a, a loss in translation. What I thought was big in Japan, they said pig in Japan. And I'm showing up at Yubashi uh, intersection dressed as a, an Angry Birds pig. They got you again. They got me again. And the dark skies of Sharknado, big in Japan and big in Japan. Yeah, so, but it's fun. And you know what? I've never had too much fun yet, so I'm, I'm See, open to it. The longevity. I had William Shatner on the show, and he said he, he never turns down anything. He said he'll do it because he never knows. Priceline, like who the hell, you know, all of these things. Captain Kirk, oh same thing. He said Star Trek, I never expected anything. Never turn anything down because you just never know where it's going to lead. You know, advice from one of the greats. You know? When I was a little kid, I started acting when I was 12 years old. And I lived in New Jersey, so my mom would bring me in for auditions. And um, there was a, a commercial audition. I forget what it was for, but it was ridiculous. It was like some robot toy, and they wanted me to dress like a robot kind of thing. And, uh, and I just thought how my classmates would really barbecue me if I dressed like a robot and did this kind of stupidness, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so I said, Mom, I'm not doing it. I don't want to go in. And my mom said, Ian, look, just get it. And then you could turn it down. Mm-hmm. Just get it first and then worry about it. So I went into New York and I read the copy and it really wasn't all that bad. It was kind of funny. And I got it. And she said, well, you're going to turn it down? And I was like, no, let, let's go do it. So I kind of learned a lesson. You know, just 
Don't prejudge something from other situations and similar circumstances. Everything has to be judged on its own merits. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, approached to do Dancing with the Stars, at first, the first season they came to me, I'm like, no, I'm an actor. What is this? This is reality? No. Second season they approached me, and no. In the third season, um, Mario Lopez just busted it out and blew up from it. And so it kind of made me look at it. And then the fourth season, they asked me, and I did it. And I looked at it as an opportunity to learn a new skill, to be in prime time, which is so valuable, to stay topical in this industry, and to have fun. And because Dancing with the Stars um, was a, a variety-type show, it wasn't your typical reality show where they try to make you the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. It's the same as Sharkino. They want to play it straight. Yeah. They don't have hacks on that. No, no. This, we're not playing it for the joke. With Dancing with the Stars, it was an opportunity to be the thrust of the entertainment, and I liked that. Shortly after that, I was uh, asked if I would consider screen testing for The Price is Right when Bob Barker retired. And my knee-jerk reaction was, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but again, my friend's words said, came to me. and said, look, don't prejudge from similar circumstances and prior experiences. Look at the opportunity for what it is and do the pros and cons. So I looked at the opportunity. Price is Right. Shoots 42 days out of the year. Two shows a day. It's, you know, the contract was multi-million dollar contract. Yes. Yeah. So I said, wow, you know what? I'd be hosting a party twice a day for four days a week for 42 days a year. I'd make ridiculous amounts of money. And with that money, I could staff up Iman Productions and make my own vehicles. Yeah. Make my own entertainment. I can employ a lot of people. There's a lot of good I could do. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I stopped seeing anything negative about hosting The yeah. Price is Right. So I said, you know what? Yeah, I'd screen test for it. I would love to. I, the more I thought about it, I was like, oh my God, I hope I get it. Yeah, yeah, it would yeah. be so fun. Yeah. And it went to Drew Carey. Uh-huh. And Drew's doing a great job with it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I got a long road in front of me. If opportunities similar to that came up again, I would... Take a, a look at it, and this. I wouldn't prejudge. Let me ask those, because um, what I was talking before was was uh, the, the screen test I had was for America's Funniest Home Videos, and Alfonso Ribeiro ended up getting it, and I was the same as you, like right to the line. Wait a second, is Tom Bergeron no longer doing that? He's retiring after this year. Right. Alfonso's the new guy. Right. And it was the same as like you said, like yeah, America's Funniest Videos, like really, and, and then as we move on in the process, you're like, I really hope I get this, and then you don't get it. It's such. It's a letdown. You've been in show business a long yeah. time. You have to let that go, but it's hard. You can't. I, I process rejection uh, very quickly. I don't dwell on it. I would never have made it 38 years in this industry if I was beaten by rejection because you can't be the guy every time. All I can control is what I bring to the audition. Mm-hmm. From there, it's out of my hands. Someone else has dominion over me in terms of choosing who's going to get the part. And I understand I can't be the guy every time. They may want someone dark hair. They may want someone ethnic. They may want someone taller. They want shorter. I might not work for whatever reason. But if I can go into an audition and do the best I can and accomplish what I set out to do, then I 
take that away as a victory because I know I can't beat the guy every time. Mm-hmm. But if I can go in there and accomplish what I set out to do and not screw up or mess up my lines in the audition and impress the casting director, well, I'm okay with that. that That's my victory. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know there's 50 other guys behind me waiting for the same role and somebody might be more right for it. Mm-hmm. Alfonso's a great guy. Maybe they wanted someone. Maybe they wanted him. Right. It's not necessarily personal they're going to do what's best for production every time if they thought he was a better fit then they're going to go with him if they thought you were a better fit they would have gone with you and he would have had those feelings but Afonso has been in the industry a long time I was on Broadway when he was the tap dance kid on Broadway you know Broadway yeah wow yeah what years when you were a kid 1979 I did Richard Rogers last musical I remember mama yeah so you have been in the biz a long long time time. started in 1976 wow yeah so so you mentioned too Beverly Hills that's something that I mean once again huge 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 show how was that audition for you because I was going to say was that your first thing but obviously you've been working since 76 and that was about 89 or so right I was uh, 26 years old Mm mm-hmm Really? Yeah. Wow. I was finished with college. I was working on a soap opera. Um, Soap opera ended, and I hadn't had a job in about 18 months. I was getting kind of desperate because from the soap opera, I had bought a condo in New Jersey, and I had some roommates, but I was starting to see the bottom of the barrel. I hadn't worked, and, you know, life's expensive. Not that I lived you know, too lavishly, I needed to work. And it had been 18 months, and I was kind of worried. I had a conversation with my dad, and my father said, look, I'll uh, I'll give you $1,500 a month for two years, and then I I can't do it anymore. So my father was willing to give me $18,000 a year to support me while I still pursued my acting career, but the caveat was that I had to have a plan B. The acting gig didn't work out. So I started working in a fish tank store because I liked fish tanks and I thought maybe I could learn importing and exporting and was thinking more of the lifestyle. That would be pretty cool, going to tropical shores, whatever. But acting was always my passion and I never gave it up. And you know, as I was becoming more and more desperate, my brother, who's in advertising specialties, I went to him and I said, you need to make me up like a little podiatrist magnet with a foot that says, now that I got my foot in the door, Ian Zeering, and then my agent's name. So when I go into an audition, I could leave it on a cabinet for them to find later or whatever. And, yeah. and that worked out pretty well. You know, I'd get some callbacks from that. People would just find it and go, Yeah, oh, look at this. Clever. Yeah, clever. I like this kid. And then I get this audition for the class of Beverly Hills. Well, that's what it was originally called. Yeah. And living in New Jersey before fax machines and computers, I had to drive into the city to get the script, and it was on Lexington Avenue. And again, just think about that. You had to drive in to pick up the script. Yeah, yeah. How crazy today's, uh, mm-hmm. but back then that's what you did. And parked the car, and I walked. I remember walking up a flight of stairs to this big office that was pretty much empty and had a stack of scripts and a legal pad to sign in. And there was a sign. It said, "Sign in and take a script." I said, "Hello, is anyone here?" Some woman in the back said, "Yeah, just take a script and leave your name." So I'm looking at it, about fifty scripts. I'm looking at the blank sign-in sheet, and I'm thinking, God, all these scripts, these are all potential Steve Sanders. And knowing that they were going to be putting me on film the next day for the director, really, uh... so I took the pen and I signed in. I wrote, Ben 
Dover, and I took all the scripts. I walked out of that office with a stack of scripts from my fingertips tucked under my neck, and I'm running down Lexington Avenue just waiting for someone to grab me. Script stealer! Script stealer! And I took all the scripts. So that no one else could read for this part. (laughs) Well, they would read for the part, but they wouldn't have a whole... Right. Threw a monkey wrench into the... Mm -hmm. Whatever. My audition was at like 10 o'clock the next morning. So I got home and I tore the script apart and started workshopping it with a, a friend of mine, another actor, and just worked on my three scenes and worked on them and worked on them and dialed them in to the point where I was comfortable and went to my audition the next morning and I got there and everyone was looking for sides for the scene to, to see because they didn't get a script and of course I asked for sides too. <laughs> There's no scripts here yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And, um, actually, I love the fact that you actually signed a name too. Like instead of just stealing them and running away, oh, I signed Bend Over. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did my three scenes and uh, accomplished what I had set out to in that, that audition and tried to forget about it because I felt the victory was in just a good audition. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple days later, I get a call that they wanted to screen test me. I did a good job, they wanted to bring me out to California. So I was very excited about that. And they fly me out to California, and I'm on a plane with two other actors, a boy and a girl. They were reading for Brenda and Brandon. And we get to California, and they put me up at the Hyatt on Sunset. Get wow. into, I get into the city. I get into L.A. I get to the hotel about 4, 4.30, and I'm sitting in my hotel room. And I didn't have a car, so I was pretty much landlocked. And I'm watching cops, bad boys, bad boys. I'm watching cops in this... Rocker beat up his girlfriend and she's like wrapped in the bed sheets and the bedspread and she's holding herself while the cops are interviewing. I'm looking at the bedspread and I realize that's that's this hotel. I'm sitting in the hotel. So it was just right. it was just weird. Where cops happen. <laughs> Is this your first time in LA? No, I'd been oh, there okay. before, but it was just weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I weird memory. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like Weird. Yeah. So the next morning I wake up and I, I get picked up and we go to the Fox Studios and I made sure I put some Vaseline on my gums because when I get nervous or have any anxiety, my mouth dries out and I didn't want my lip to hang on my gum. Yeah. You know, the Jim Carrey yeah. fire marshal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want this to happen. So I learned a trick. I remember seeing some beauty queen saying, oh, she puts Vaseline on her lips, on her on her gums. So... Oh, it's great. And it works flawlessly. It's just perfect. So I like put some Vaseline on my gums and I went to the audition and I'm sitting there and in the hallway in the executive offices, they have all the actors that are auditioning. I remember seeing Brian Green there and there's a, uh, a blonde gentleman also reading for Steve Sanders. He's bigger than I am. There's a dark haired kid who's also reading a little smaller than me. Um, the dark-haired kid sitting next to me is saying his lines a little too loud next to me. And I'm like, hey, buddy, why don't you shut up? You know, I don't want to hear that. It's in my head. I don't need you to screw what I got up going on. So, hey, keep it to yourself. And then the, the big blonde guy next to me is like down the hallway doing push-ups. And I'm just trying to breathe, not let my heart race so I could give, you know, my audition. The dark-haired kid goes in and... I'm just outside the door, so I hear them laughing. I hear a lot of people laughing. And he's in there for an inordinate amount of time, so I'm thinking, God, he's killing it in there. 
and I'm dying because it just is. It's just there's a mind game to this whole sure thing. Sure thing, man, absolutely. But the door opens and he comes out and he's got this look on his face like he doesn't know if he had brain surgery or not. So I knew he wasn't confident. Mm-hmm. Thinking maybe they were laughing at him rather than with him. Maybe it was a courtesy laugh. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, fake Hollywood. Laugh. Iron, are you ready? The casting director says, and I stand up and I walk in, and the room is packed. Barry Diller, I see. Wow. Oh yeah. Um, who's the head of the network? The head of the network yeah. at the time. I see uh, Aaron Spelling sitting there. Wow. I see some of the other industry icons from Fox that I remember seeing in the trade papers. And, you know, Darren Starr was in there, and people were sitting on the backs of sofas and on the sofas, and there were 18 people in this room. And so you're very far on the process. Yeah, this is the screen test. So the casting director says to me, Ian, are you ready? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. But then I look at everyone. I said, I want to make sure you're all ready to pay attention because there's going to be a quiz after this. And that stupid comment made everybody say, <laughs> you know, it kind of broke the ice for me. But it was so, I was nervous. I said something ridiculous, but it kind of broke the ice. And my mouth watered. I'm like, ah, oh, I feel relaxed now. Everyone, you know, we're on the same page. I'm crazy. So I gave my three scenes, got my laughs where I needed to. They weren't laughing like the first kid, but I got the right laughs. Set out and accomplished what I'd set out to do. And Aaron Spelling stood up and shook me. And I thanks so much for coming out here. Really, pre-. And I'm thinking, <gasps> kiss of death. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for coming. Don't let the door hit you in a tush on the way out. I'm like dying. So um, I said, oh, well, thanks so much. I really love the character. The project's going to be great. Uh, if I'm not involved, I still wish you all the best of luck with it. And take care. And I walked out. And as I walked out, I passed the, the big blonde guy, and he looks at me and says, how'd it go? And with all the, the luster I could manage, I blazed him a smile and got in his face. I said, went great! <laughs> Just to screw with his head a little bit. <laughs> and he went in right after that. So that night, I get back to the hotel. The other two actors I had flown out heard that they didn't get it. But my, my agent was in New York City, and New York's office had closed by that time. So the next morning I get a call and it's my agent, Steve, and he says, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. What do we know? Did I get it? He said, well, hold on. How do you think you did? I said, Steve, I think I did pretty good. How? I didn't get it, did I? Because I could tell. He would tell me immediately. He says, well, Ian, um, they thought you did a great job. You know, again, the kiss of death. Here it comes. He's buttering me up before he cuts my neck. He says, you did a great job and you got it. I got it? Yeah, you got it. You booked it. Congratulations. Wow. And I like did a backflip off the bed. And I was so excited. I called up my parents and they were my mom was squealing with joy. It was just just a moment that changed my life. Great moment, right? And then you mentioned uh, how when, when the pilot came out, you didn't think it was going to last. Yeah. And then once again, it just goes on and becomes this huge, huge, yeah. huge hit. Yeah. Uh, what? How was that at that time? Because everybody was all about Beverly Hills. I mean, you guys were rock stars. Oh, yeah. You know, I looked at it as a job. I never really got caught up in the celebrity aspect of it. You know, I'd been working for a long time. I was 12 years old. I was already in the business for 12 years at this time. And... You know, Jason Priestley and Luke Perry, and, you know, they were experiencing this huge stardom. But to me, if it wasn't me, I was glad it was someone because we were all in tow with them. It just propelled the show. 
And I knew where I was in the pecking order, and I was fine with that. I had a job as an actor. You just have to be grateful for a job. So I did whatever they asked of me. I never quit the show. I never missed a day of work in 10 years. You did every episode, right? I was on every episode. You know, don't get off the boat if it's not sinking. You know, you never know when you're going to get an opportunity like this. Best time of my life. Really just amazing experience. I traveled the world. I uh, was welcomed wherever I had gone. I was able to uh, to make my parents proud of me. That was the best. Just in making my... I would live to make my parents proud of me. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom would call me after every show. Oh, Ian, that was such a good scene or whatever. And it would tickle me so. I used to... Uh, we used to watch it with my roommate back when I was in, in Calgary. Yeah. And I used to take my bass guitar out. Like started out and played the theme song mm-hmm. bass. And we'd watch the show. Really? Yeah, so many classic moments. I mean, <laughs> it's great. It, what was it about the show that, that, that made it so popular, in your opinion? It was an original idea, original concept at the time, to have a uh, young adult ensemble cast deal with substantive issues that were very topical. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really resonated with young adults, um, not just here, but all, all over. You know, I would, they would... We were in 142 countries around the world, and whether we were dubbed or subtitled in, um, I would hear from people wherever I would go um, that they were able to relate. Everyone either knew a Steve Sanders in their high school or was like him. Or, and there was always like the Kelly Taylor, and there was always the hot chick, yeah. you know, who was a little too snobby for her own good, right. but still you'd forgive her, you'd just get a chance to kiss her. <laughs> you know, everyone had like the little nerdy David Silver and there was always the, the do-gooder Brian, uh, Brandon Walsh you know it's, the characters were very easy to relate to because they were in every social environment within every school but I think the fact that we dealt with issues that young adults were dealing with all over the world um, really what made the show so successful how old was, was Steve Sanders as the character? Steve, uh, Steve's 10 years younger than me. Wow, that's, so you were playing a 16-year-old kid at yeah, 26. I was playing a freshman in high school. So how was that? And usually you might play older, but now you're playing younger. Yeah, you know, they... Uh, I, I, were there choices that you made to play, you know, going back to your high school years, or was it just not even really thought about? It's so funny. My own personal academic career... Played a, a high school student on a soap opera for two years. I went back and played high school again. I'm like the oldest non-matriculating student in the world. You know, the, because the subject matter was very, again very topical. It, it I could still relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't too far off from what I was experiencing in in my own life, aside from Hollywood and, and being in the entertainment industry. You know, my my high school experiences were very similar to what we dealt with on the show and you know my my wardrobe my you know they put you in an environment all of a sudden you 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 adapt you you morph into mm-hmm. into that environment if you go to a foreign country for a little bit of time all of a sudden you start speaking the language you know when you immerse yourself in the environment you become a part of it and that's what the show did for all of us we were all playing a little older some a lot more older than the characters that we were playing, but you know it was believable enough yeah. uh, for the audience because we were we all looked young enough. 
I think it's like you said too. Auditions, it's, it's they're looking for a certain look. Yeah. Not worried about age or you know height or. Got to be the right person for the part. Yeah, exactly. So they and they probably wanted a little bit older because you're dealing with some very deep stuff. Yeah. So you have more life experience to, to play that off. Yeah. You know, did you guys hang out quite a bit? Like, did did you and Luke and and. and I had known Luke for years prior to 90210. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He was doing... Um, he was on a soap opera here while I was on Guiding Light. I think it was on uh, As the World Turns or one of the other <laughs> old soap operas. You did Guiding Light? Yeah. So um, I, I'd known Luke for many years before that. And uh, meeting Jason and Shannon and Luke... Um, Chase and Shannon... And Tori and Jenny and Brian, uh, you know, we, we would hang out a lot. We hung out on set all the time. You know, it was nice to go home, you know, at the end of the day because we'd be together all the time. Yeah. You know, we would hang out a little bit socially, but for the most part, we're together all day long. Sometimes it's nice to just go home. But after 10 years, you become, you become like a family. Yeah. Do you still have relationships with them? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Jason and Luke, we hung out and had dinner. Uh, we were in Calgary, three of us together, uh, a couple months ago. To do what? We were up there for a uh, pop culture oh, okay. comic like convention. convention. Yeah. So you guys go together? As that a- was the first time we all went together, and the, the fan uh, turnout was really just so flattering. We took pictures for hours with you know, people that would come and, and take pictures with us. It was just so nice, so flattering. It's amazing, though, because, like... You know, you made such an impression. It's like the new kids on the block going to it. They're selling out arenas and people yeah. like what? But that's because you hold a special place in the heart. Yeah. You know, not to get too, not to get too. There's sentiment. But the sentiment, right? Like, yeah. To see you guys together would be a blast. You know. And, and we get it. Yeah. We get it. And you know, we. And that's important to you. Get it. Oh so yeah. Like, I'm not going to do that. No, I get it. I geek out when I see people. Mm-hmm. There was someone. Uh, Gwendolyn from Game of Thrones, the tall, blonde, um, female knight yeah, yeah, on yeah, Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, she was, one, yeah. yeah, yeah. I kind of geeked out. And then she got all squealy when she saw us. And it was so funny to see her fangirl out. And like the three of us were all geeking. Oh, my God, you're on Game of Thrones. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I used to watch you when we at school. And blah, 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 blah. You must get that all the time. I was, I was so tickled. You know, Rosario Dawson, like got all flustered because she used to watch 90210 and it's just it's really uh, really nice how was it working with Aaron Spelling one of the all time greats yeah Aaron uh, one of the most prolific producers uh, in the history of Hollywood yeah he's got more hours produced on television than just about anybody I mean if you watched everything that he's done from beginning to end it would take you months Charlie's Angels oh my god Spelling Spelling Goldberg, there were so many Starsky and Hutch. Come on, all this. Basically, every hit show in the seventies, either it was either Norman Lear or Aaron Spelling. Yeah, and Aaron was a real family man. He treated us all like his kids. He was very supportive, very caring. Would call us. He would call me if I did something that he liked. He would let me know. It very much uh, would uh, would be there for us and. You know, when he passed away, it was it was a very sad day for everyone who's known him because he was such a great guy, such a sweetheart. As far as you know, how how to stay stay working in Hollywood about how to to no, there really wasn't much of that. It was just more that he was there, nurturing and supportive, and 
you know, made made himself accessible. If we had anything that we needed to discuss, I never felt, I never thought twice about picking up the phone mm-hmm. and talking to him. It must have been kind of strange because that was that Tori's first job. Like no, I think Tori had some other work prior to that. I think she may have been on a love boat or two. Okay. That's another one? <laughs> yeah. Fantasy Island. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think she may have been involved in some of his work, but I think that this was her first uh, consistent acting gig. She did a great job. Yeah. You know, I'm sure she had a lot of uh, people accusing uh, nepotism or whatever. Um, and there probably was some of that at the start, but then she earned her stripes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I would do that for my kids. Right. I mean... What? There's no length too far for me to go from my... If I was a huge producer, believe me, I'd make my kids the stars of the show. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> What's your, uh, do you have a favorite episode from Beverly Hills that stands out? Or oh, man. There's one episode from the first season where Steve's car gets stolen. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. We worked with uh, Judy Aronson and, and Julie McCullough. Mm. And Jason and I just just had a blast filming that episode. It was just just fun. Yeah, good stuff. So so it went. You know, you mentioned I'm just getting ready to wrap up here, but all all the time in between Beverly Hills, huge hit, then Sharknado, huge hit. Yeah. You've had lots so much work in between. Is Sharknado now leading to other opportunities? Like yeah. Ryan Zering is back on the map. It's uh, work certainly begets more work. That's right. Yeah. And but you're uh, hot right now. Well, you know, you know it's it's. I'm very lucky right now. Um, I always consider myself a journeyman actor, and and so I understand that it's cyclical. Um, there's always going to be ups, but where there's ups, there's downs. Every opening night has a closing curtain, and I'm very aware of that. Mm-hmm. So I try, I try to uh, do whatever I can to sustain the ups and prepare for the downs because it happens. Mm-hmm. So uh, I always try to do things that stretch um, my repertoire a bit, to do things that challenge me, to do things that um, give me a sense of achievement. And now I I just focus on things that will help me uh, contribute to my family, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's really where my my goals are, to, to be... First, it was glory. I was motivated by the glory, doing commercials in high school. The chicks digged it. Yes, yeah, so the girl, yeah, the glory, the glory. And then, as I got older, it was all about uh, achievement to do things that I hadn't done before. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do this. Boy, that'd be great to do this. And now, uh, now I find myself um, motivated by contribution. What I can give back to my family. What, what's this, what's this going to do for my lifestyle and my family? Yeah. What, what am I going to leave for my kids? How, how's this going to help me be a better dad or or uh, sustain the lifestyle that you know I want to provide for my family? Yeah. Uh, final question: How hard was it to train people that it's iron? <laughs> I think I think they've been beaten into it long enough. You know, on, on the Apprentice last year, they. Uh, you know, they butchered it enough and finally said, hey, guys, it's Ian, you know, and Donald started calling me Ian, and the only um, person who really couldn't put it together was Geraldo, but that doesn't surprise me. He's called Geraldo. Yeah, Geraldildo is what I ended up calling him because he's such a prick. Anyway, <laughs> sorry if I've offended anybody, but... I, I've had the two. My, my last name is, is Irvin, I-R-V-I-N-E. My whole life I've had to grow up with Chris Irvine. No, it's Irvin. 
Irvine. No, it's Irvin, but it's spelled like Irvine. Yeah. No, but it's pronounced Irvin, and then my kids are going through the same thing, you know? Right. You always have to worry about that. You must have lived that through your whole kid. Child. You know, um, I've been called a lot worse than Ian. <laughs> so there are worse things I've discovered to be called. And you know what? It's just really what separates my uh, friends and family from acquaintances and people that are just that yeah, don't yeah. know me. What's the background? Is that like a creative mother? Oh, <laughs> hippie mother. <laughs> um, I was named after my grandfather Irving, and with the I, my mom found it difficult to find the right name. She didn't want to name me Irving, mm-hmm. um, but she liked. Ian, my brothers had a counselor in camp when they were young. His name was Ian, and my mom liked that. So she named me Ian. So Ian I am. Since birth, it's always just been Ian. But it's not the norm. You know, there's a lot of Ians out there. So. And it's nice. People know my name's Ian. I'm not correcting people as much as. Right. It's Ian. Getting somewhere, Mom. I'm getting somewhere. They know my name's Ian. It's so, so satisfying now. It's, you know, it's, um, when I was little, it would be, no, it's Ian, not Ian. But what do you mean? You're pronouncing your name wrong. (laughs) Exactly. You can relate. I mean, it's like, look, this is what they name me. You're five or six years old. It's like, I know what my name is. Yes. It's not. You can call me whatever you want, because I don't really care about you enough to really let it bother me. So, whatever. But it's Ian. Yeah. There you go. I'm not, not going to tell you again. It's Ian here. It's Finn, Sharknado 3. Dude, it's great to talk to you, man. You're an awesome guy. I tell you, I really enjoy talking to you and seeing your success. I, I would have loved to see you on um, that the video show, America's Funniest Videos. But oh, yeah, yeah. Chris, I got a feeling there's something even bigger in store for you. Where one door doesn't open, there's others that do. So I'm looking That's forward cool. to seeing thanks. your next opening night, buddy. And thanks for the advice. And you're still ripping, bro. Look at the size of you. No, man. You're the one who doesn't fit in your, your jet. You're just so... The people who are listening to this don't realize how muscular and in shape this this monster of a man is. You're just you're a testament to health and fitness, buddy. Stop, say more. Yeah, no. <laughs> Take care, man. Thanks to Ian Ziering, Sharknado 3, Oh Hell No, debuts Wednesday, July 22nd on the Sci-Fi Channel, loaded with celebrity cameos, including Mark Cuban as the President of the United States, David Hasselhoff, and Bo Derek are in this one, and of course, so am I. Bruce the Ride Attendant, ready to run wild on them crazy sharks on Wednesday, July 22nd. You gotta check it out on the Sci-Fi Channel if you want to see the fate of my character, Bruce the Ride Attendant. You're gonna love it, I'm telling you. It's a fun movie, and it's uh, gonna be huge, man. Talking about huge as well. The Y2J WWE Summer Tour is kind of over halfway done. It's crazy. I can't believe it. There's been some adjustments. I just found out uh, this week that some of the shows that I was supposed to do uh, aren't happening anymore. So uh, San Diego, July 31st, August 1st, Ontario, California, August 2nd, Fresno, August 15th, Detroit. The East Lansing show has been moved, so there will be no East Lansing show on August 16th. August 21st in Bridgeport, August 22nd, the White Plains show has been moved, so there will be no show that day. 29th in San Juan, Puerto Rico, 30th in Tallahassee. Wrapping it all up, although I might be doing some more dates. Uh, I will announce those very soon. And other Fozzie days, July 24th at the Square in Kitchener. August 8th, Festival of Friends in Hamilton, Ontario. August 9th in heavy Montreal in Montreal. Then, of course, October 30th, we are going to be rocking the KISS cruise with the KISS Navy. Excited about that. Talk about a dream come true. Touring with KISS people. Love it. And then we head back to Europe. 
uh, in November, and we're going to the UK as well. And that starts November 14th at Augsburg, Germany, 15 Vienna, Austria, 17 Hamburg, 18 Berlin, 19 Ludwigsburg in Germany. Uh, we got Voreal, France. We got a show in Luxembourg on the 21st, Cologne, and then we head to the UK on the 24th, Reading, Turn, uh, Tunbridge Wells, London, Manchester, Chester, Birmingham, Cambridge. Newcastle, Nottingham, Sheffield, Treco Bay up in Wales for Planet Rockstock. Rockstock. So many uh, shows coming up. Go to FozzyRock.com and get your tickets early. They're going fast. Get your VIPs early. Those are going fast. Uh, and thanks for checking it out. Thanks for being here. And thanks to all of you for supporting this show. Without you, I wouldn't be able to do it for free for twice a week. And thanks to the great Talk is Jericho sponsors, DDP Yoga, Recovery Max, True Car. And, of course, the sponsor has been with us from, from the start, Amazon. Easiest way to support this show is uh, use my links when you go pick up, uh, when you go shopping and you're going to pick up, let's say, Randy Bly's new book, Dark Days. Great, great show with Randy Bly the other day. Um, man, one of my favorite episodes. And I, I want, also, too, I want to make a quick apology. I was saying Czechoslovakia the whole time. I know it's now called the Czech Republic, and Czechoslovakia is, is, uh, does not exist anymore. Uh, my bad. I apologize for that. I know it's the Czech Republic. So um, please stop messaging me about that now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but go check out Dark Days. It's a great book. And so is Corey Taylor's book, You're Making Me Hate You, a cantankerous look at the common misconception that humans have any common sense left. Or go uh, pick up the uh, first two Sharknado movies on DVD. How about the new Tremonti album, Cauterize? Anything you want or need on Amazon, you, know, you help out uh, Talk is Jericho in the process, just go to podcastone.com. Click on the Support or Sponsors banner at the top of the page. Hit Talk is Jericho. I got the Amazon links in the USA, the UK, and the Canada A. Every time you do that amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we keep doing this to you for free for twice a week no extra fees or hidden charges you just get your shopping done helping us out in the process all right i thank you very much for being here thanks to ian zeering and thanks to randy bly it's been a great great week here in talk is jericho and we're just continuing along next wednesday uh, the, 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 the quality continues as we got Global Force Wrestling's Jeff Jarrett and uh, Magnus are going to be here talking all about the upcoming debut of GFW, the TV tapings, uh, how it came together, how Magnus uh, left TNA and ended up with Global Force Wrestling, and of course Jeff Jarrett how he is now a third-generation CEO of a wrestling company. Great, great conversation with Jeff and Magnus coming up on Wednesday, and we will see you then. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.